Welcome everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Poliafito, and I'm here today with Roger Goldberg of Walnut Creek, California, Bay Area Retina Associates. Roger, welcome back to Retina Synthesis. Great to be back here, Carmen. Thanks for having me. So you've got exciting news today about Farisimab, uh, reported for the first time at Arvo 2023 by you to a big crowd. And uh, what it seems to indicate is that the anti-ANG2 inhibition effect has a, an important role in enhancing blockage of macular leakage. So let's let's talk. What what did yeah. you find? Yeah, well, so I think I will, look, Farisimab has been around for uh, a little over a year, and I think people were you know we're seeing increasing usage of it uh, for both AMD and DME, and I think kind of anecdotally and in our clinics and in some post hoc kind of real world settings, we're seeing uh, good effect. But one of the questions that always comes up is, well, is that improved efficacy and durability that we're seeing, is that related to uh, just the increased molar dose of VEGF-A inhibition? Or is that, that actually the ANG2 component um, uh, doing something? Because farisimab, is, as you know, is this bispecific antibody that inhibits both VEGF-A and ANG2. And I think it's been really hard to tease out, but I think this macular leakage data in diabetic macular edema uh, that, that I was able to present at Arvo really does, um, I think, in a compelling way, point to uh, the added benefit of ANG2 inhibition, uh, particularly here uh, in this analysis in diabetic macular edema. So uh, we, what we did is a post-hoc analysis of the uh, Yosemite and Rhine studies. And in those studies, as you know, it was farisimab versus a flibercept. And patients at baseline got a fluorescein angiogram. And then everybody, whether regardless of what arm you were randomized to, everybody got four monthly loading doses. And at week 16, everybody got another fluorescein angiogram. And macular leakage, although we don't um, kind of, we don't typically kind of see it reported in the way that uh, we see like central retinal thickness, the, an the anatomy of uh, on an OCT. We see that kind of more frequently reported in clinical trial data. And we know that OCT, of course, is the workhorse of, of our clinics. But macular leakage, it turns out, is actually a really important um, marker for vascular stability because, um, you know, it, and, and again, we don't sit there and kind of measure it clinically in our own clinics, but the reading centers, thankfully, can analyze the clinical trial data. And for example, uh, from the Ruby study, Justice Ehlers has done some nice work to show that reduction in macular leakage correlates with improved anatomic outcomes on the OCT and, uh, and on, in terms of microaneurysm count on wide field angiography. And reduction in macular leakage actually also correlates well with vision improvement. So for every one millimeter decrease in the macular leakage area, there's about a one letter increase in visual acuity gain. And so the findings really highlight the importance of quantitative macular leakage measurements as a biomarker for diabetic eye disease. So what we did is we took all the patients, again, kind of in a treatment agnostic way, regardless of what, uh, you know, what drug they were assigned to, and we looked at kind of the distribution of how much macular leakage was left after those four loading doses. So at the week 16 angiogram, 
And we divided the patients up into four quartiles. Quartile one or cohort one had resolution of their macular leakage, less than one square millimeter of, of, uh, of residual macular leakage. Cohort four, that fourth quartile, had persistence of macular leakage, more than 10 square millimeters of macular leakage on the angiogram. And then we looked to say, well, just again, in a treatment agnostic way, does, does kind of moving patients from a persistence or high macular leakage phenotype into a low macular leakage, um, does that actually make a difference for patients? And it does, again, looking across all the patients at year one, if you were in the cohort that had resolution of your macular leakage, you tended to gain more vision and maintain those vision gains throughout year one uh, versus the cohort four that had persistence of their macular leakage. And then uh, not surprisingly, if you were in cohort one with resolution of your macular leakage, you tended to be able to achieve a drier retina and maintain a drier retina over the course of the first year of the study. So, uh, you know, being able to move patients from persistent macular leakage to uh, resolution of macular leakage after that loading phase, I think of as probably a pretty important um, uh, marker for uh, eventual success here in terms of vision and anatomy. So we then uh, compared the farisimab uh, and uh, aflibercept treated eyes, again, looking at this head-to-head -head phase. And at baseline, before anybody had received any care, the groups were really well uh, balanced. The median amount of macular leakage in both farisimab and aflibercept treated eyes at baseline was about 25 square millimeters. And you know there's a distribution curve and those curves really overlap uh, remarkably at baseline. When you look at how much leakage is then present at week 16 after those four loading doses, well, there's about a 50% reduction in the, in the macular leakage in the uh, farisimab treated eyes. So 7.6 square millimeters in the aflibercept arm versus uh, 3.6 square millimeters in the farisimab. Uh, arms of the study. And then we looked at like the actual distribution curves themselves and said, well, how many patients are we actually shifting from kind of cohort four down to cohort one, uh, cohort one being the better one, you know, resolution of their macular leakage. And here again, we saw very impressive outcomes, uh, but there was a near doubling in the farisimab uh, treated arms, uh, treated eyes of the study. Uh, in cohort one from 15% in the aflibercept group uh, to 28% in the farisimab uh, group. Again, so almost doubling the, the proportion of patients in, in uh, cohort one resolution of macular leakage. And where are those patients coming from? Well, we saw nearly a halving of the proportion of patients in cohort four, you know, persistence of macular leakage from 43% in the aflibercept arm uh, down to 26% in the farisimab arms. So we're clearly shifting patients down the spectrum from um, more leakage uh, to resolution of leakage, comparing farisimab versus aflibercept. Now, what is what's driving that? Um, what's driving that improved uh, macular leakage? Well, this is, I think, where we really see the benefit of ANGE2 inhibition. We know from all sorts of preclinical data that. Um, ANG2 inhibition on its own uh, leads to uh, reduced vascular leakage and even more so in conjunction with VEGF inhibition. But I think, the, I think the kind of the best kind of comparator 
is when you look at the photon study. In the photon study, this was comparing uh, two milligram of flibercept to eight milligram of flibercept, high dose, well, you know, what sometimes people are calling high dose ILEA. And you look at the difference in macular leakage in the photon study after that loading phase, and all, uh, all both the two milligram and eight milligram arms have the exact same uh, reduction in macular leakage. There's no difference in how much the macular leakage has changed, two milligrams versus eight milligrams of flibercept. So to me, this really speaks to, with verisimab, it's not you know, any increase in the molar dose of VEGF-A inhibition. It's really being driven by the ANG2 inhibition uh, because quadrupling the aflibercept dose doesn't really improve the area of macular edema. Similarly, like, you know, we've kind of known this. If you look at the photon just CST data, the curves really overlap during that head-to-head -head phase. There's no difference on the OCT anatomy. And in the READ-3 study, which was looking at quadruple uh, ranibizumab or Lucentis, there's no difference in the central retinal thickness. So just adding increased VEGF inhibition doesn't seem to be making a difference in the anatomy or in the macular leakage. So it really does point, I think, to ANG2. Uh, inhibition. Uh, so anyway, that's kind of what we were able to share. I think we'll see more data and analyses coming out uh, around macular leakage um, and, and the role of ANG2 inhibition, but I think it's a pretty compelling story. Uh, our listeners may not know a lot about macular leakage uh, metrics, considering that all the clinical trials are centered around OCT. What is was there an OCT correlate to these findings? So in um, so if you look in Yosemite and Rhine, and this has been shared, you know, honestly, since uh, kind of the day day one of the top line results coming out. But if you look at the uh, just the OCT curves, the central retinal thickness curves, there was um, a greater reduction, a better drying effect at the head to head stage uh, with um, with a furisimab versus a flibercept. So we see that at week 16. You actually also see that result at the end of year one. As the trials go longer out, it's sometimes harder to compare exactly because um, there's differences in the timing of when the last injection has been given, whether the patient might be four, eight, or 12 weeks out from their last injection. So sometimes it can be a little bit hard to, um, to exactly um, compare things later on. That's why I like this head-to-head analysis because everybody's apples to apples. Everybody's gotten their four loading doses and we're looking four weeks after that last loading dose. So this is a, a, a reason to choose furisimab over ILEA for the treatment of diabetic macular edema? You know, it's funny. I, I think it's, it's definitely been very compelling to me. And I've been looking more now at the angiograms. And I think, um, obviously, we're not doing it in this forum, but I think what's helpful is just to look at kind of how much macular leakage is there at baseline, or maybe you didn't get the FA at baseline, but you're looking at the FA kind of after the first or second injection, um, whatever kind of you and your, in your treatment algorithm are doing an angiogram and diabetic macular edema. But definitely, I think um, you kind of look and sometimes you say, hey, this is a patient that maybe they got one or two leaking aneurysms, you know, paraphobial, and that's what the driver of their diabetic macular edema, and it's not related to kind of diffuse macular leakage, well, maybe in that case, the patients will do well with any agent. But then you do the angiogram on, on other diabetics, and you really do see 
you know, like, you know, not a wildfire, but a lot of, a lot of hyperfluorescence there as, as the dye is leaking out of the blood vessels. And I think those are patients um, who will do well with, uh, with verisimab. Well, this is exciting uh, news and uh, uh, renewed interest in fluorescein angiography, ironically, during a period of time where the fluorescein sodium agent is remarkably difficult to obtain with one supplier left in the United States at, at this, <laughs> on this day. The, the one advantage of what we've started doing in our clinic is uh, the one advantage with ultra wide fields um, and geography is you don't need as much of the dye. Yeah. So you can, you know, it used to be you take five mLs for one angiogram, which is, you know, what the vials come packaged in. But now you can, you can actually get an awesome angiogram. And so we're using about one and a half mLs for most patients. And we're stretching that one vial uh, across three patients. Uh, and I think that is one of the benefits of um, ultra wide field angiography. So, so just to recoup, what are your indications for fluorescein angiography in diabetic eye patients these days? Yeah. So even before this, I think that I think the other benefit and why we've seen perhaps a little resurgence in diabetics in particular is for the peripheral uh, evaluation right. and assessment, because we know, for example, from the DRCR protocol, I believe AC, which looked at predominantly peripheral lesions, uh, but there's just so much we can detect now peripherally. So on my diabetic, uh, you know, DME and kind of severe NPDR or, or worse patients, I'm always getting an angiogram at baseline. I want to have those baseline measures. I want to know what's happening in the peripheral retina, uh, as well as what's happening now uh, I think this has kind of keyed my interest a little bit more into what's happening in the macula uh, as well. So I tend to get it at baseline and then, um, you know, kind of depends on how the, I, I won't necessarily get one again at, at week 16, like they did per protocol in Yosemite and Ryan, but, um, you know, depending on how the patient's responding and doing, uh, I often will then check another one, maybe at the six month time point and, you know, or longer, if, obviously if they're doing well or, um, you know, but but it's sometimes fascinating to see what's happening with that peripheral ischemia as well. Is that getting worse, or has it been stabilized? And um, that'll sometimes help guide my treatment too. Is furosemab your agent of choice now for DME? Yeah, for sure. You know, like we have a lot. I'm in California, and so we have a lot of Medicare uh, managed uh, Medi-Cal and managed Medicare plans. So we, it's a highly highly managed category. So. I think kind of all things being equal, yeah, that's my agent of choice, but um, uh, to the insurance companies, all things are not equal. And so we often have a uh, step therapy, uh, both with uh, Avast and, and sometimes actually double step therapy through ILEA as well. So um, it's not always uh, kind of, you know, physician choice and autonomy is, um, while still robust, is not as robust and as we as we might like it to be. Well, this has a, been a very interesting discussion. As as uh, a venerable sta standby, fluorescein angiography makes a comeback as a knowledge producer and as a new agent that uh, was widely studied and enthusiastic is is uh, obtaining a new role. For us, yeah, yes. So. And again, more to come here, I think, so. Yes. Okay, Roger, thank you.
See yeah, you great to be soon. here. Yeah, bye.